Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14, center us as we come this morning asking the question, why did the angels sing? Why was it at the birth of this child did an angelic chorus gather together and sing the words that we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 14? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What is the big deal about a baby being born 2,000 years ago in an out-of-the-way place to, by all historical standards, to nobody parents? In our day, a birth is a familiar miracle. This last year, there were 129 million births. In a given uh, day, there are approximately 353 thousand births. In a given hour, there's 14,000 births. In a given minute, there are 245 births. In a given second, there are four births. Now, each birth, I'm sure the parents would attest to, is a miraculous moment in their life, but all of us would agree it is a familiar miracle. In my previous church, I had a physician that over the course of 35 years of his practice delivered 7,000 babies. And each one of those babies certainly was a miracle in its own right, but a familiar miracle it was. Do the angels gather and sing at every birth? The answer is we don't know, but do the angels gathered to sing at this birth to attest to this miracle of life that entered into our world? Why, Dawson, did the angels sing? Why? Was prose alone not enough to accompany the announcement of the birth of this, this child here? Now, it's easy for us when we come to Christmas Eve and focus upon the familiar story of the narrative of the birth of Christ for us to answer the who and the what questions. Maybe in life group just a moment ago as you were there, or maybe in your own personal Bible study and reading, you've, you've spent a little bit of time dusting off the answers to what happened and who did it happen to. So we think, once again, as believers of the story of Joseph and Mary making their way to Bethlehem for a census, pregnant Mary being ushered away because there was no room in the end, and she gives birth in a manger, this delivery room that was fit for not the king of the kings, but just an ordinary, forgettable person lost to history's record. The announcement given to shepherds, the lowest, the lowest socioeconomic rung of the ladder in that day, they would, because this birth was, was just ordinary, and it was given to the most ordinary people to hear about it, these shepherds here. So why did the angels sing? Well, it's easy for us to spend a good bit of time answering the, the who questions. Who was Caesar Augustus? Who was Quirinius? Why did they go back for the census? Maybe to just peel back the layers, to read between the lines, to be able to think again about the anxiety of this pregnant mother by the name of Mary. To be able to think of the doubts that this adopted father, Joseph, would have had. But I don't want us to answer the who question primarily. I don't want us to answer, again, the, the what question primarily. I, I want us to focus our attention this morning on the why question. Why did the angels sing? One point this morning that I want to 
uh, allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate in your heart is that the angels, they, they sing this song because Christmas displays the depth of God's love. Verse 11 signifies for us again that a Savior was born Christ the Lord. That the true meaning of Christmas, Dawson, you know this, but the true meaning of Christmas is not Santa coming to town, but a Savior being born in an out-of-the-way town. The true meaning of Christmas is not primarily about getting and receiving the perfect gift, but about remembering anew and afresh that the perfect gift has been given in Christ our Savior. The true meaning of Christmas is found in the answer to the why question, why did God send his Son With great clarity, the gospel writer of John answers that question in the third chapter, the 16th verse, going on even to the 17th verse that oftentimes is widowed off the page and left in isolation. But chapter 3 of John's gospel, verse 16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Then continuing in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is why the angels would gather together and sing this glorious song declaring Jesus' purpose for all of us, embedded in the very announcement to the shepherds that those shepherds needed a Savior, just as we also need a Savior. It's important for you to understand when we think about the answer to this why question. That Christ came because you need a Savior. I need a Savior. We need a Savior. It's important for us to answer as we, uh, to, to think clearly about the answer to this why question, knowing that we, like Adam and Eve, are outside of the Garden of Eden. We have taken of the fruit. We have allowed sin to enter into our hearts. And there is a, a chasm between us because of our sin, between an infinite, holy God and we sinful humans. We, like Adam and Eve cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God. We, like Adam and Eve, are outside of the Garden of Eden, outside of his perfection. You call it what you want to, but it's very difficult, if not impossible, in your life and in my life to deny the effects of sin. Call them what you want to. Call them mistakes. Call them mishaps. Call them fractures. Call them failures. Call them restlessness. Call them resentments. But there is brokenness Around us, there is brokenness within us. You go home for Christmas, and there very well may be an an aunt or an uncle that says, you know, I don't really care much for this Christmas story. I, I love the gifts. I love the garland. I love the family. I love our friends together. I don't believe the story. I don't believe in the veracity of this story. I don't believe in the historicity of this story. But one thing, while they might doubt that story, it is difficult to doubt the truthfulness that if you have any miles in your life and you look back in the rearview mirror, you see behind you relationships that need to be mended. You got any mileage on the odometer of your life, you see words that you wish were left unsaid. You cross any bridges, there's been water that has, that has wrecked that bridge and, and there are relationships 
that there is no pathway to reconciliation with. This happens. Even Christmas, is as beautiful as it is, as joyful as it is, as as full of, of merriment and laughter, it can be a time where there's ruptures and those difficulties, they, they come to, to a point and to a head. And there's some of you that know what it's like in your family to have, have brothers alienated from one another. Gifts are opened at different times so that the ships don't pass in the night of Christmas. There's some of you in this room that know what it's like to have the difficulty of, of, of years of history to come back and there's pain in the family, there's pain with, with friends and, and the very effects of sin can be felt very poignantly right here in, in, the, in the most joyful of times. And it is important for you to hear the glorious news That all of us in this room, just like the shepherds then, needed to hear that Christ has come because we need a Savior. And the only one that can save us from the brokenness without and the brokenness within is the one that was sung about 2,000 years ago by that angelic chorus. Why did they sing? Because you and me, we have a debt we can't pay. Do you remember, some of you are old enough to remember this. Some of you have come from um, difficulties financially and you've, you've walked the, the walk and you know how difficult Christmas can be sometimes on, on um, your bank account. And so you, you know layaway. Maybe as a kid, you even heard your parents talk about layaway. Layaway is something that, that maybe many of us in this room don't have to experience But it's the time in July, you go to the Kmart, you go to Walmart, you buy something on payments, on installments, with the goal of having enough of it paid off so you can take it home on Christmas Eve and wrap it and put it under the tree, but you didn't have the money to pay for it, so you had to put it on layaway. Every Christmas you see in the paper, every Christmas you see in the nightly news, these stories of the layaway angels in Florida. I heard just recently of the layaway angel in Florida went to a Walmart and paid off $63,000 of people's layaway installments. $63,000. And so the Christmas story is the story that Christ has come to pay off the installments of a debt that you owed, that no matter how on time you could be with your payments of merit and good work, you could never come to a place that you fully paid it off. That Christ has come to pay off a debt that you owe to a holy God that you cannot in your own strength, in your own works, in your own might, in your own ingenuity, you cannot pay but he has paid it all. All to him we owe. This is the good news of Christmas, that that Christ has come, and that not only did he die a sacrificial death, but he has a perfect, righteous credit line that has been bestowed not upon him just by his father, but by his perfect obedience. And so when he dies upon a cross, he dies for you as your substitute, for me as my substitute. But it's also the infinite righteousness that pays off our sin debt. 
And so all of the sins that you've ever committed, that I've ever committed, all the sins of humanity's past, all of the sins of, of all future generations that come before us, all of the sins were laid upon him and he absorbed that sin debt. He absorbed that payment. This is the glorious news of why the angels would gather together and sing the song of our Savior. Do you know John Ortberg? He's a wonderful pastor. John Ortberg's Presbyterian pastor outside of uh, Hollywood, Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. He has a book called God is Closer Than You Think. And he tells the story in the book of Father Damien. Father Damien in the 19th century was sent by the church to a leprous colony, quarantined in one of the villages in this remote Hawaiian island. And the story goes that Father Damien lives among the lepers. He preaches among the lepers. He gets to know them, learns their language, builds a school. There's a band that he starts, choirs that he starts. Homes that he builds and, and instructs others to be able to build it. So this becomes a place not only that people come to die, but they come to live. And the way that Ortberg tells the story of Father Damien is that he got so close to these people in the 16 years of his ministry that there were, there, there were no boundaries between him and the people. There was a personal ministry and proximity to those lepers. So he would share the communal bowls that were passed around. The pipe would be shared among the others, bandaged, open wombs. So, so much so that he stood up one Sunday morning and everyone knew that something had changed when the first two words that he uttered out of his voice in that sermon were, we lepers, we lepers. The story of Christianity that separates Christianity from other world religions is that Christ would come and would say, we lepers. You see, Father Damien not only lived in their island, but lived with the people. He not only ministered to them, but he became one of them. He not only had the address, but he had their skin. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of John chapter 1, says that Christ became flesh, that the Word became flesh, and it moved into our neighborhood. This is what separates Christianity. This is why the angels were seeing, because this is what is so distinctive about who we are as believers. All of you this Christmas season have asked all for time, and there's some of you that your boss, she has a uh, high work ethic that she instills upon those in your business. Others of you are in situations where you just wish that the manager could understand what it was like to have kids or to have family that was far away. So oftentimes we lament if they only knew. If they only knew what it was like, then they would have a little, they'd be a little bit more sympathetic to my, my plight. They'd be a little bit more understanding to what I'm asking for. Oftentimes, we're lamenting that people just don't understand what it's like to walk in the unique size of your shoes. And the story of Christianity, why the angels will gather together and sing is because our Savior has come and he knows what it's like to not just be familiar with the shoes of humanity, but he, he put them on himself. Do you know what it's like to, to, to weep 
even in the midst of the joyous celebration of Christmas? Do you know what it's like to, to know that, that tomorrow there will be an empty chair that was often filled by the patriarch and the matriarch of the family? And there's joy and there's laughter and there's remembrance, but there's a, there's a, there's a tinge of, of sadness as the proximity of that loved one is not there and you're hoping and you're longing for the time that you dwell with them for an eternity, but their absence is, is palpable. Well, Christ knows that feeling. The tear, the tears of laughter and the tears of sadness that intermingle together as you're telling the stories of that loved one. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to, to be with Mary and Martha and Martha saying, if you would have been here, my brother Lazarus would not be dead. And Jesus wept. He knows what it's like to feel the wetness upon his cheek. He knows what it's like to walk the shoes of sadness and grief that you will travel, you are traveling, or you have traveled. Oh, that person doesn't know what it's like to, to walk in my shoes Christ knows what it's like to feel the whole anxiety, the whole, the whole anguish of the sins of humanity that were placed upon him. And as he cries out to his father, uh, if any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. As he, as he as drops of sweat like blood flow from his brow, any, any stress that you feel, any anxiety that you feel, he has walked that holy anger, frustration, as Christ walks into the temple and he, and he looks around and they, they've changed this place that was to be a house of prayer and they've made it into a den of thieves and he, and he turns over the tables. He knows what it's like. As he walks in the midst of the crowds, all of the needs of humanity that are crying out for him. And as he gives himself, but he is also exhausted and he must, he must retreat. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to walk in your shoes. But more than that, he knows what it's like to walk without sin. The anonymous writer of the book of Hebrews would say that he is just like us in every way, yet without sin. He can sympathize. And this is the news that we celebrate. This is why the angels would gather together and sing that angelic chorus because Christ, our Savior, the Lord, has come and he's dwelt in our midst so that he could bring finite humans into a relationship with an infinite God for eternity. This is the reason that they would sing. Now, what is your response? What is your response to the song of the angels? Well, there are three ways that we're called to respond, three ways that we're tempted to pass through very quickly without uh, taking a little bit of time to ponder and to think carefully. You're here this morning, and, and the first response that we're called to as we consider the news of this is that we're called to submit to Christ as Lord this Christmas. We're called to submit to Christ as Lord this Christmas. I love the way that Dorothy Sayers, who was a great essayist of the 20th century novelist, she would say it this way, the incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall, 
to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation and defeat and despair and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us. And he thought it well worth his while. Why? He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for all of humanity. And so your response to this gift that has been given to us in the person of Christ is to submit to him as Lord and a Savior. To admit that you too are a sinner, that you believe in the finished work of Christ and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Have you submitted to him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords? We're called to submit. We're called to savor, to savor Christ as the reason for Christmas. Just this last week, Danielle and I celebrated 18 years of marriage. We went to a nice restaurant. We enjoyed a wonderful meal. And it was a meal that we were called to, to savor. I mean, Dan, it would have been offensive to Danielle if I, if I said, okay, listen, we got 30 minutes for this meal. Eat it really quickly. I got a football game to go back and watch here. It's been a great 18 years. I got the bill. I got the bill. And I looked at her and I said, we better savor this meal right here. I'm saying here, I'm getting my money's worth out of this. I mean, you, you savor a fine meal because you enjoy the company. It's an honor to the chef. Boy, it's tempting, isn't it? It's tempted for, for me and you to, to, to treat Christmas and the true reason for it just like a fast food meal. We don't even get out of our car. We roll down the window, we get the Arby's, we get the McDonald's, and we eat it in the car going on to something else. And, and we, could, we could treat Christmas in that fast food mentality in the midst of the hurry and the harriedness of everything that we never savor Christ in the midst of the Christmas season. We're called to submit, we're called to savor. And, and, and what we submit to, who we submit to, and as we savor him, we're called to share. It's always an amazement to me that these angels, they would sing this song of the coming Christ and you and me. We are called to sing anew the, the message of salvation that has come in our hearts. We are called to give a hope and a reason, a reason for the hope that dwells within us. We're called to share Christ as Savior this Christmas. It's a message that we get to share, not just in the Christmas season, but it is a message that we get to share in 2018. It is a message that we get to share with coworkers. It is a message that we get to share with friends. It is a message that we get to share from the very depths of our life and our faithfulness in the workplace, our faithfulness in the neighborhoods that God has placed us. But it is a message to declare verbally of the good news, the good news of our Savior who has come. Dawson, you know this, but I remind you this Christmas season that the Christmas, as you know, is more than gifts, but gifts are amazing and great. 
The Christmas is more than garland, but garland and decorations are great. It's more than food, but the food is great. It's more than family, but the family is great. The reason for this Christmas time that we ponder anew and afresh is that this is a truth that has split the calendar between B.C. and A.D. This is a truth that has revolutionized cultures, and this is a truth that can transform your heart because I have good news that was sung about 2,000 years ago. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That is something to sing about. Let us pray. Lord, I pray for the person that is here today that has never submitted to you as Savior and Lord. I pray for the person today that is looking for hope in all of the wrong places. Trying to pay that debt of brokenness through work, and through merit, through pleasure. And it's just not working. It never will because only you can pay that debt. I pray for the person today that has never submitted that today the Holy Spirit would sing to her heart, would sing to his heart, would draw them to admit their sin, to believe in your finished work and to commit their life to you even this morning. I pray for so many of us today that are tempted to not savor the moment of Christmas, to to pass through it so quickly. May even today, even tomorrow, May we be intentional personally in our families and the opportunities that we have to savor the meaning of Christmas. And may we share. Moving into 2018, may we share this glorious news in a way that only you can give us the courage to do, the boldness to do. May we live in such a way that people would ask of the hope that is within us. May our life sing anew of the glorious truths of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And may people come to know the song the angels sung about 2,000 years ago. It's in your name we pray. The saving name of Christ Jesus. Amen.